you're not able to be here with us there, you can watch them online. Um, but I really want you to, um, to hear what the Lord's saying to us about these things. I think it's extremely important. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, let's go to Proverbs, the third chapter, Proverbs chapter 3, and we'll look at verses 5 and 6. This is our uh, foundational text for our uh, Sunday morning study here of late. And if you're new to this study with us, I want to encourage you to also go back to the archives and, um, and watch or listen. Uh, these sermons are all available to you free of charge, and I believe that they will help you and, and, and bless you and be of benefit to you. But this morning, let's jump back in here at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and he shall direct your path, your paths, rather, plural. So last week we said the choice is clear and the choice is yours. Trust in the Lord with all your heart or trust in yourself with all your brain. Now, we did some explaining behind that statement. There's some uh, teaching that goes along with that. But to lean to your own understanding means to live your life and to have your life supported by what makes sense, seems right, and feels safe to you. And if you live your life leaning to your own understanding, living your life by what makes sense to you in the moment, then you're going to be limited to that level of life and living. In other words, there's only one level of life and living uh, that living by your own and leaning on your own understanding will support. To lean on your own understanding means to be supported by. And there's only so much that, um, you know, that will support but there's another foundation, amen, uh, the, the foundation that God has for us to live upon, and that's his word. That's what he has said to us. So we can, we can trust in God and what he has said and live our lives according to that, or we can trust in our own understanding and support ourselves by that, amen. Now let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 12. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 12 here, the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, says, uh, For this reason I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. One more time, For this reason I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. If you've ever read the book of Job, you know that Job had a few friends that came to quote-unquote cheer him up, but um, <laughs> they may have came to comfort him, but what they wind up doing is accusing him. They wind up uh, judging him, and we see that their judgments were inaccurate and, uh, of course, were not very comforting. And a lot of times when a child of God goes through some difficult or challenging situation, uh, it's very tempting for other people to, uh, you know, say things, make assumptions, draw conclusions uh, that they should never be drawing or, or saying. And no doubt this was what uh, was happening with Paul. And Paul is saying, look, I've dealt with some challenges. I've been through some hardships, but um, I am not ashamed. I, I have not failed God and God has not failed me. Because I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Now, if you're looking for trust in this verse, 
um, we don't find the word, but we do find trust here. That word committed means a deposit of trust, a deposit of trust. So what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that he knows whom he has believed. That word know means um, to know as if I see, to know as if I see. Hebrews 11 says that Moses accomplished all that he accomplished as if he was seeing God who is invisible. This is the highest level of confidence. It's the highest level of expressed faith. It's it's when you know as if you can see it. It's not that he could see it outwardly. It's not that he could see it with his physical eyes, but he could see it with something better than that. He could see it with his heart. He could see it inside of him. And and this produced a level of, of knowing and seeing in him. David, we talked about him last week. David had that same level of knowing and seeing when he faced Goliath, when he faced the giant. He wasn't shaking in his boots. He wasn't doing it afraid. He knew something and saw something because of the trust he had placed in God that others um, uh, that were there that day did not know and could not see. And it produced a confidence in David that enabled him to win a great victory for God on that particular afternoon. And so we've said that the fruit of trusting God is this inward knowing. The fruit of trusting God is an inward knowing, and bold confidence comes from proven trust. Bold confidence comes from proven trust. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about uh, in in the passage that we read from 2 Timothy chapter 1. There is a proven trust that, that has um, produced a confidence. What does it mean, proven trust? I asked you last week if you've ever wondered if you could trust somebody. And the only way you'll ever know is if you actually trust them. But proven trust is when you extend trust and it works out well. It, it produces positive results. And so bold confidence comes from proven trust. We could say proven trust in God. The stronger our trust in God, the greater our boldness. But we said weak trust in God will always lead to weak prayers, reluctant giving, timid confessions, and fearful living. Now, I know I'm doing a little bit of review right now. Just stay with me. Placing your trust in God, this is, this is extremely important. So let's get really dialed in and focused here. Placing your trust in God will lead you through experiences that will open doors of knowing and seeing in your heart. We are in our 18th year of discipleship class here at Heritage. Those of you who are not sure what that is, it's a 36-week class. We meet on Wednesday afternoon from 5 to 6.45. We end and then come in here and have service at 7. And in this class that the Lord led me to teach all those years ago that we've continued now um, this many years, we get to what the heart of discipleship really is. Um, Father God's plan for you involves, number one, you being born again, and then number two, you committing yourself to his process of discipleship in your life. Now, we define discipleship a lot of ways, and I'm not going to try to even hint at uh, introducing the, 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 you know, what we learn in discipleship. We're already 
you know, five weeks into it now, ten hours almost of teaching into it now. But the bottom line of discipleship is the renewing or the reconditioning of the mind after a man or a woman has been born again. God says it this way. He says, my desire is for, for, for people everywhere uh, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There are a lot of people who have received salvation that have not yet come to the knowledge of the truth. That doesn't mean they're not saved. I used to think coming to the knowledge of the truth meant getting saved. But that is not what he's saying in that particular passage. You've got to receive salvation and become born again in order to be in a position to come to the knowledge of God's truth in your life. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that to the natural man, that's a man who has not been born again, the things of God are foolishness. But once we're born again, we receive the mind of Christ, which means we're now able to process spiritual truth when previously we were unable to process the truth or the wisdom or the ways of God. So God's plan is for people to become born again And then once you're born again, to come to the knowledge of the truth. So discipleship is about coming to the knowledge of the truth. And and, and in particular, discipleship is about reconditioning, reprogramming the way a person thinks. You see, a lot of people have been born again, but they still live like the person they were instead of the person they became because they still think like the person they were instead of the person they became. When you were born again, you became something that you were not before. You became a new creation in Christ Jesus through the new birth experience. But your mind was not born again. Your spirit was born again. Now your mind has to be renewed. Your mind has to be reconditioned. Guess what previously conditioned your mind? In other words, the the, the way you think right now, you, you came to that way of thinking and, and living and doing things, not because you read something in a book. Your mind, as it is right now, has been, has been conditioned through experiences. Are you with me? When I teach this in recovery classes at the Foundry, I say it very boldly, but I say it this way. I say, you did not learn addiction in a classroom. And you will not learn recovery in a classroom. You can learn about these things in a classroom, but if you're ever going to truly learn recovery, you're going to have to have your mind reconditioned. You're going to have to have your mind reprogrammed. And the only way you can have your mind renewed, reconditioned, reprogrammed away from an addictive mindset is through positive experiences apart from drugs and alcohol. Are you all with me in the room this morning? The same is true if you want to lose weight. You got to learn how to have a happy life without Snicker bars. Am I right about it? You know, we, we, we people. You know, when we start trying to change these habits in our lives, it's almost like we go through this grieving process. It's like, how am I ever going to be happy another day without this or without that? See, it's because your mind has been programmed. Your mind has been conditioned by experiences, and so we've got to have different and better experiences. So discipleship is not just about coming to church and hearing somebody teach about God or teach about the Bible. True discipleship is something that takes place in in your daily life, in your daily walk. This is why Jesus invites us to come alongside Him and take His yoke. 
Think of two oxen joined together by a farm implement. Take his yoke upon yourself and learn from him by doing life alongside him. He wants to lead you by the Holy Spirit into different life experiences that will renew and recondition your mind. So do you see, placing your trust in God will lead you through experiences that will open doors of knowing and seeing in your heart. Doors that cannot be opened any other way. Let's go to the extreme of this. If you've read the Gospels, you understand that Jesus did not see things the way other people saw them. He had a level of knowing and seeing that other people around him did not have. For example, Jesus never saw an impossible situation. He never saw anything that was too hard or too difficult to overcome. He never saw anyone who could not be helped. Are you following me? There was no situation too severe. Even his friend Lazarus, who had been dead four days and his body had already begun to decompose. See, we, we on this side of seeing and knowing things of that degree, we think, how in the world could he have ever had the faith to do this? He had already seen it happen before he ever... Remember, he said, I don't do anything unless my Father tells me to do it. I don't do anything unless my Father shows me to do it. Now, it's very easy for us to say, yeah, but he was Jesus, Pastor Mark. Why, why are you even comparing our situation uh, to his? Because what he did on this earth, he did as a man. If he did it as a son of God, then there's no way he could have ever said the works that he did, you can do also. So placing your trust in God will lead you through experiences that will open doors of knowing and seeing in your heart. Doors that cannot be opened any other way. And this is the, this is the stalemate that so many of God's children find themselves in because they know if they're going to experience more of the life that God has for them to experience, they're going to have to trust God to get there. Amen. I know that at some point we're going to talk about trust and faith. This morning we may, we may talk a little bit about trust and love. And then there's trust and hope, faith, hope, and love. What does trust have to do with those three things? It has everything to do with those three things. Trust and faith are different, but they are so, so closely related. So, so closely related. And so we see the disciples were often asking Jesus, give us more faith. And Jesus is like, you've got enough faith. You need to learn how to use the faith you've got. See, they kept wanting Jesus to give them more faith. Jesus kept giving them opportunities to use the faith that he had given them. Because learning about trusting God and actually trusting Him, not the same thing. And the only way you'll ever learn to trust God is by trusting Him. Have you ever wondered if you could trust somebody? Have you ever wondered if you could trust somebody to a certain extent? This is why in Malachi, when he talks about the tithe, he says, prove me in this. Prove me in this. You see, far too much of what we know about God is only theory. This is one of my favorite things the Lord's given me in this, whole, in this whole series right here. Trusting in God moves the promises of God from theories in your head to proven foundations in your heart. You know, we often talk about we've got to get what's in our head in our heart. You know, I've heard, um, I, I guess I'm taller than the average bear, but you know, you hear people talk about this, this gap, the, however many inches, 12 inches or whatever it is from your brain to your heart. 
and, and how that's where most people are missing it. So we got to get it out of our head and get it into our heart. Well, I mean, I understand what you're saying there. But how do we do that? You know, do we try to like shake it down or, you know, I mean, jump off of a chair and let it, I'm being silly, but how do we practically effectively get what's in our brain into our heart? How does it go from a theory in our head to a proven foundation in our heart? Trusting in God. Trusting in God moves the promises of God from theories in your head to proven foundations in your heart. Now, I want us to look at two passages from the Old Testament and then we'll move um, to a verse that I've already talked some about. We just hadn't turned there yet. Let's go to Psalm 37, verses 3, 4, and 5. Psalm 37, verses 3, 4, and 5. Praise God. Psalm 37, verses 3, 4, and 5. I've got them up on the screen. It says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. Remember, trust like faith without any effort or work or action on your part is, is not trust at all. So he's saying, trust in the Lord and then do something good. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Trusting in God and feeding on His Faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Verse 5 Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. But notice the first word in verse 5 is this word commit. It's the same word that we saw Paul use in 2 Timothy, where he talked about what he had committed to the Lord. This word commit means to entrust. It means to make a deposit of trust. So he's telling us to commit our way to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He shall bring it to pass. Trusting in the Lord to bring something to pass in your life means not leaning to your own understanding. Remember, we've, we've spent some time talking about how You've got to either trust God or support yourself by your own understanding, but it can't be both. Now, one of the great problems that many people have with the promises of God, again, what are they? In so many people, they're theories in their head only, not foundations in their heart, is that we keep trying to figure out how it's ever going to work. How is it ever going to come to pass? How can God, uh, you know, bring me into a, a state of being debt-free, for example? Uh, as, as, Brother, as Pastor Bill Winston says, pay your house off by this time tomorrow. Thank you for that one amen back there, brother. Pay your house off by this time tomorrow. See, we're like, well, you know, I mean, I don't even know anybody that's got that kind of money, Pastor Mark. I don't. See, notice, what are we doing? We're leaning to our own understanding. It doesn't make sense to us that our house could be paid off by this time tomorrow. It doesn't seem right to us. that this. That, because see, so notice now, we're trying to figure out how it's going to come to pass. This is where the devil, when we do that in our hearts, this is where without even realizing what we're doing, the mistake we're making, we're swinging our heart wide open for the devil to bring all kinds of doubt and unbelief through that door. When we start leaning on our own understanding, trying to figure out how is it going to come to pass. Remember the example that we're given in scripture. The farmer plants the seed and he goes to bed happy and excited. 
because he knows he just initiated a process that he does not understand that's bigger than him but will produce a result, a harvest in his life. He doesn't understand it. If any farmer, even in, in, in the 21st century, if any farmer says, I will not put this seed in the ground until I fully understand how all of this works and, 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 and all these results come from this little seed, then in, in 2021, nobody's planting seed. Because as much as we understand about it, we, there's still a mystery because it's supernatural, it's divine. Next time you walk up to an oak tree... Reach down and pick up one of the acorns that's laying somewhere around it. That tree used to be inside that acorn. Are you, you follow what I'm saying? That's a mystery. I don't understand how God brings that to pass, but what does the Bible say about that mystery? God gives the increase. God brings it to pass. So what are our instructions? Our instructions are to trust in the Lord and do good. Our instructions are to abide in the land that he's given us and to feed and enjoy his faithfulness. To delight ourselves in him, right? Delight ourselves in him and let him give to us the desires of our heart. How, what do you desire this morning? We, we spent uh, several Wednesday nights even talking about the importance of asking. And what do you desire? And all the Bible has to say about asking and God not just wanting to give you what you need, but God wanting to give you what you want. What parent among us only wants to give our children what they need? We want to give them what they need and what they want. We get that from our Heavenly Father. What do you desire from him this morning? What are the instructions? Commit your way to him. Trust also in him. Entrust your way to him. Trust also in him. And he'll bring it to pass. He will bring it to pass. We keep trying to figure out how we're going to pull it off. That's trusting in yourself. All right. Keep this passage in the forefront of your mind. Let's go now to Proverbs 16 and 3. Proverbs 16 and 3 says, commit your works to the Lord. Psalm 37, 5 says, commit your way to the Lord. This says, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. So this word works in the Hebrew, it, it is a word with vast meaning. And it, and it, just, it just simply means what you do. It, it, it's talking about your actions. So if we take Proverbs 16 and 3 and Psalm 37 and 5. Proverbs 16 and 3 says, commit your works to the Lord. Psalm 37 and 3 says, commit your way to the Lord. Both, both associated with trust, because the word commit means the same thing here, to entrust, to make a deposit of trust. Okay? If we combine these two things together, we get a very clear picture. He's saying... Commit what you do to the Lord, trust God with what you do, and trust God with the way you do it. Right? Commit, trust God with what you do, and trust God with the way you do it. Are you seeing this? See, there's a lot of people who want to try to do things God's way, but they, they want to do God's thing. They want to do something that's religious or that's spiritual or that's even biblical, but they want to try to do it their own way. Right? This was one of the, 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 the foundational principles that the Lord spoke to us leading up to that first service, June of, of 1998, that first Sunday of June 1998. Uh, that's the first 
service we had as a family of faith under the, the name Heritage Christian Center. Amen. It's when the church was, quote unquote, it was born in AD 33, as Brother Frank Whiten uh, often reminded us. Amen. I'm talking about this family of faith. When we, when we began June of 98, what the Lord spoke to us was a very simple word. He said, do my thing, but do it my way and expect my results. Do my thing, do it my way, expect my results. Okay? So, for instance, and I was like, okay, Lord, help me with that. So, praise and worship is a classic example. Water baptism is a classic example. Tithes and offerings and giving, again, a classic example of things that God has instructed us to do in His Word, but many times people do it their own way instead of the way God has told us to do it in His Word. You hear people say, well, I just worship God in my own way. Who do you think you are? God didn't tell you to worship Him in your own way. He gave us specific instructions in His Word on how He would like to be worshipped. Clapping of the hands, playing loudly and skillfully on the instruments, lifting your voices, shouting, dancing, running, leaping. All of these things are in the Scriptures. Well, you know, Pastor Mark, that's just not my personality. Well, maybe your personality is the problem. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a smart aleck here. Are you, are you follow what I'm saying? So, do God's thing, but do it God's way. Trust God with what you do, but also trust God with the way you do it. Giving. You know, the Bible says... Do not give because you've been emotionally impacted or influenced to do it. Man, I, I, I was compelled for many, many years with pictures of hungry children to give. I'm not saying hungry children don't need to be fed. But the Bible says that we should not give when we're compelled to give, when we're emotionally manipulated to give. That's not pleasing to God. I, Let each man or woman give as they purpose in their heart to give. Amen. In the days ahead, I've I've been telling you this, fair warning. In the days ahead, we're going to be talking about tithes and offerings and and giving to the Lord. And, and, um, you know, somebody may say, well, Pastor Mark, do we have to tithe? No, you do not have to tithe any more than you have to pray, any more than you have to come to church, any more than you have to um, read your Bible. Any more than you have to listen to anything me or anybody else that God's put in your life to speak into your life has to say. You don't have to do anything. That's not how God is. That's not how he rolls. Amen. Right? Amen. All right, I'm feeling a little sassy this morning. Let me kind of back off that a minute. Amen. Water baptism. It means to be completely immersed. It is symbolic of being buried and then being raised up. There's a lot of folks that want to do baptism, which is God's thing, but they want to do it their own way. Well, it's just more convenient to sprinkle a little water on somebody's head. Well, I understand convenient, but that's, again, see, he's saying commit what you do and commit, entrust God with what you do and entrust the way you do it. Okay, thank you for those amens. All right, now, commit your works to the Lord, and notice what will happen. 
your thoughts will be established. I have tried every way in the world to say this verse backwards. I keep wanting to say, no, 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 no. I don't, you know, it's the other way around. You've got to get your thinking straight in order for, you know, your actions to be straight. But let's go back to it. Our thoughts, as they currently stand this morning, have been established by experiences. What are experiences? Experiences mean things that we've done, things that we've participated in, right? If we're going to have better God-like thinking established in our lives, it's going to require us doing God's thing, doing it God's way, and, the, and, and our experiences in the process are going to establish a different way of thinking within us, the way that God originally intended for us to think. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Amen. Praise God. All right, 11.30. I know John Mark gave it to me a little sooner than it's normally given over, but you got a few more minutes? Can you take a little more? I'm not going to give you more than you can handle this morning. Amen. Can you take a little more? Yeah? Yeah? All right. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, we don't, again, find the word trust in these two verses but we will never do what we are being begged to do here without trust. Romans 12.1 gives us detailed instructions on what it means to make a deposit of trust. Remember what, what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy, the verse we looked at a moment ago, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 where he said that he, uh, that's talking about what he had committed to the Lord and that he was confident that God was able to keep, preserve, protect, increase what he had committed, what he had deposited into his trust. Notice now, I'm trying to connect several things together here to to help you see the bigger picture. So what we find here in Romans 12 and 1 are detailed instructions on what it means, what it looks like to make that deposit of trust. Remember, God can only keep what you entrust Him with. God can only keep what you entrust Him with, what you commit to Him. All kinds of God's children are so upset with God for not keeping things they never committed to Him. They're upset with Him for not taking care of things that they never trusted Him to take care of. Now, Think with me for a moment. He's, he's, he's begging us. That word beseech there could, could accurately be translated, I am on my hands and knees begging you. And I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. What is he saying? He just spent 11 chapters in Romans laying out for us what God has done for us in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, and now in the, the current um, present tense ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
It's as thorough and as a detailed explanation of our redemption, of our justification, of our being made righteous by the blood of Jesus and receiving that righteousness as a gift as you have anywhere written in the world, much less the, I mean, including the Bible. But there's, in other words, there's nothing in the Bible or beyond the Bible that, that gives us any better uh, picture of what's been done for us, the mercy and the grace that's been given to us. And so when Paul comes to us with these words, I'm begging you now in light of what God has done for you. He's saying what, what should be an, an appropriate response on your part, on my part, to what God has already done for us? How should we respond to this? How can we respond to this? What, what is our next move based upon all the moves that he's made to, to help us and to benefit us and to put us in the position that we're now in as his sons and daughters in the earth. He said the the, the reasonable response, the rational service that we can offer to God is that we respond to what he's done for us inwardly by presenting our bodies to him as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. This is our reasonable service. This is our, our, our fundamental, basic, one translation says, act of worship. What's the opposite then of presenting yourself to God as a living sacrifice? Withholding or withdrawing yourself. So do you see the trust here? I, I don't know how much further we'll get past this one part, but I, want you, I at least want you to get this part before we, before we go here. Um, I said a moment ago, you don't find the word trust anywhere in these verses, but you will never accomplish what you're being begged to do here in these verses By the way, this wasn't the Holy Spirit begging you. This is the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul imploring you, beseeching you, begging you to respond this way. And let us not lose sight of this one important thing. If the Holy Spirit is urging you to do this through the Apostle Paul, it's because there's benefit here for you. He will never ask you to do anything that's not in your best interest. You see... This goes back to, if we put our trust in God, it's going to lead us through experiences that are going to produce levels of seeing and knowing in our heart, doors of understanding and seeing and knowing in our heart that cannot be opened any other way. All right, let's try it this way. Two cases stand out for me from the Scriptures, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, where God actually asked someone to literally offer a physical life to him. The first one, of course, was when he asked Abraham to offer Isaac. And, of course, we know that God stopped him from plunging the knife uh, into his chest. The Lord himself provided a sacrifice. All of this is highly symbolic. Now, remember for a moment, please remember, that God and Abraham were in covenant with one another. Anytime uh, one member of a covenant relationship uh, makes a demand on the other party in that covenant relationship, that party is obligating himself to do in the future what he just requested from his covenant partner. What am I saying? When God asked Abraham to offer his only son as a sacrifice to him, God was by covenant obligating himself to offer his only son as a sacrifice for the descendants of Abraham. They're in covenant with one another. Now, because God stopped him from doing it, 
Jesus could have called for the angels to come and get him. In other words, because Abraham didn't follow through. Remember now, he puts wood on his son's back. They go up a hill to make a sacrifice. God put wood on his son's back. He went up a hill to make a sacrifice. But at the last minute, he stopped Abraham. Because at the last minute he stopped him, Jesus could have said, I'm not going to go through with it either. But he didn't. Aren't you glad he didn't? Now, what's the point? We have two cases in Scripture where we see God requiring of someone to literally sacrifice their lives. The first is Abraham sacrificing Isaac. Do you have any idea how much trust Abraham had in God to do that? Would anybody in here say trust was, was not a factor in this? No, I don't think you would. How about Jesus? How, when, when Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for us, think of the display of trust that Jesus had in his Father when he did that. He, he literally, he, when he became your sin and my sin, our sin separated him from his Father. And Jesus went to hell itself because of your sin and my sin to pay the ultimate price for us. And he died trusting that his father would not leave his soul in hell. It's it's the level of trust. Have you ever, like, and and sometimes we say this, that's between you and God. I'm not here to tell you what you ought to say and what you not ought to say. Well, maybe that is part of my job, but anyway. You know, somebody says, do you trust so-and-so? And sometimes you hear people say, I would trust her with my life. Be careful what, what you're saying there. Amen. Sometimes we exaggerate, you know. Oh, I'd trust him with my life. Because that's the highest level of trust, by the way, is when you literally trust someone with your life. One thing to trust them with the keys to your car. Another thing to trust them to babysit your puppy dog while you're out of town. It's another thing to trust them with some money or your credit card, right? But if we're talking about literally trusting someone with your life, that's the highest level of trust. This is what he's saying in Romans 12 and 1. He's saying to trust God with your life except for don't die, keep living. Are you seeing this? All of this is, is, is tied back into the sacrifices that were, key word here, important word, that were offered to God, that word present, it, it literally means to bring before the Lord, to, to lay it on the altar before Him, in front of Him, for Him to see. Okay? So they would bring their animal sacrifices to that altar, and when they laid it on that altar, they were laying it before God. That sacrifice that they made in the Old Testament, it was meant to tangibly, visibly communicate to them their trust in God, trust for His forgiveness, trust for His provision, trust for his protection. We're going to cover some of these things in the days ahead. When they offered that sacrifice in the Old Testament, it was communicating their trust in God. 
when they did that, if it was done correctly, if, they, if what they were doing, if they were doing it, not just because God said do it, but if they were doing it the way God said to do it, it was, it was communicating to him in a very tangible and a very powerful... That's why it honored him. It honored God because it was expressing their trust in God. Did anybody in the Old Testament ever make an offering to God that God did not accept? Absolutely. He didn't accept it because it did not honor him and it did not honor him because at the root of that offering there was no expression of trust in him. Oh, sweet Jesus, okay. <clears throat> let, let me, you've heard me say this many times over the years. Let's, let's say it again this morning, okay? My life is not my own to do with as I please. This, this is what it means to, to be a living sacrifice. And if you're going to be a living sacrifice, you must trust God if you're going to do it His way. Let me give you Romans 12, 1. First of all, from the message translation, it says this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Remember, the question is, how are we going to respond to this amazing grace and mercy that's been given to us? Same passage, Romans 12, 1 from the Passion Translation. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be His sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness, experiencing, there it is right there, experiencing all that delights His heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Keying in on that phrase, experiencing all that delights His heart. Amen. Stand with me this morning. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I believe this is where we will jump in next week. I just I, I feel compelled to just plant some of this right quick, and, and we'll water it and plant it and water it and plant it some more, okay? I'm, when I say... I've been kind of keeping this in my pocket, so to speak, because I really feel like the Holy Spirit spoke this to me, okay? But, you know, we've got two witnesses, right? We've got the Holy Spirit, the inward witness, and then we've got the Word of God, right? And, and nowhere in the Bible can I find a verse that says it exactly this way. And so I, I appreciate and welcome any feedback from you. But here's what I am... Here's what I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to me, okay? There is no greater way for you to honor God than to trust Him. There's no greater honor can be, can, can be bestowed upon God than for you to bestow upon Him your trust. Your trust. Can you... Love somebody and not trust them. The first response, you want to say no, but the answer is yes. You can love somebody but not trust them. Okay? Because 
what's going to happen if you love somebody but don't trust him it's going to be very difficult for you to have the kind of fellowship with that person that you want to have with that person that you could otherwise enjoy with that person but it, but, but if, if you don't trust him it's going to affect your fellowship with that person are you following me okay so <clears throat> john mark sang it a while ago we all sang it with him worthy of all the praise we could ever bring he's worthy of all the the love he's worthy of all the honor for that matter he's he's worthy of of everything okay and so a lot of times when we worship god we use that word worthy am i right about it he is worthy now don't misunderstand me he's worthy but but i'm going to show you in the scriptures where if we don't deem him to be trustworthy you see the difference there right See, it's very easy to, to sing somebody's praises. Are you following me? Are you, oh, man, yeah, she's the greatest. Oh, yeah, he's so... I get, I get a lot of... I say a lot. I, I, it comes in spurts, but sometimes... Let me say it. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Sometimes I get calls for people, you know, job recommendations. People ask me, foundry here, whatever. Can I put you down as a reference? By all means, right? Well... <clears throat> The highest recommendation that I could ever give someone is this one. Are you ready? If I had a position for them on my staff, I would hire them right now. Can I say that about everybody? I mean, some folks, I don't, you know, I, you know, some, so it's like, listen, they attended a lot of classes with me, but I've never been outside of a church set. You know, in other words, I'm going to be honest with the recommendation. You follow what I'm saying? So you can, you can say all kinds of good things about somebody. That doesn't necessarily mean you trust that person. In the same way, we can say all these wonderful things about God and yet have little to no trust in Him. Do you see how all that just kind of rings hollow to Him? I've watched uh, over the summer, you know, Oliver turned two last January and so this summer in our swimming pool you know it's been he's enjoyed it a lot more let's just say it that way um, but I watched like Jake standing there with his arms right he's wanting Oliver to jump off the side of the pool to him how, how, how let's, let's, let's do it this way first and I'll, I'll pray after I say this okay how does it make you feel when you're not trusted? Right? Think about that. You know, he's sitting there, come on, buddy, come on, trust dad, come on, just jump. And Oliver's like, he's backing up me now. I was trying to get him to jump to me one day. He says, Pam, Pam. Right? He didn't trust me to jump to me, but he trusted Pam Pam to jump to Pam Pam. You see, you, you see right? Now, I'm a, you know, I'm a grown man, but it, it, it stung a little bit. I'll just be honest. I'm like, I'm bigger than her. I'm stronger than her. You know, I'm just, right, okay. So the bottom line is, what, what does a person refusing to trust God, what does that say to God? What does a refusal to trust him communicate to him? So we can talk about him being worthy of, let me tell you what else he's worthy of. He's, he's worthy of all the trust you could ever bring. Amen. Father, we love you. Thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you for these beautiful people.
Oh, Father, I look out here and I, I see I see you in their faces, Jesus. I, I see people who, who know you and love you and, and, and want to live for you and want to live the life that you created them to live, Lord. Help us this morning to be that living sacrifice. Father, where we recognize, wake up every morning realizing that our lives are not our own to do with as we please. Lord, that we've been bought with a price. We belong to you. And, and it's, it's not for us to live our lives any way that we choose or to do anything that we choose to do. We can, but Father, what pleases you is when we commit our works to you and we commit our ways to you. What we do and the way we do it, Father, we entrust that into your care. And we let you teach us and establish new patterns of thought and thinking, Lord, in our lives in the process. Lord, I thank you that you're teaching us to trust you because we're learning to actually step out and do it. And Father, I thank you that, that the needle of our spiritual growth is moving in a positive direction. Lord, as, as we learn to trust you in, in, in small ways, bigger ways, different kinds of ways, Lord, um, as it relates to individual lives and, and those who are listening to you, uh, Lord, speak to us in this series. Lord, thank you um, for all that you're doing among us here at Heritage. Thank you, Father, for the for the just, Lord, the way you have not only provided for us, but Lord, just, just, just increased us and blessed us and prospered us, Lord, during a, a, a very strange and, and, and different um, past year and a half or so, Lord. And so we thank you for good things now. As we go our separate ways, we do so endeavoring to let our light so shine before others that they see our good works and glorify you in heaven, Father. We thank you for this time and this place that you prepared for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. You're loved if nobody's told you that. Thank you for um, being here this morning. Um, John Mark introduced me to a new Bethel worship album called Homecoming. And uh, if you do Spotify or Apple Music or whatever and you haven't heard about that album, I highly recommend you uh, worship the Lord to some of that this week in your spare time. Amen. Your love. Good things.